0: Sound of volume. <laughs> if I'm really bad, I'll turn myself off. <laughs> All right. Title of my message tonight is Peace, Bro. Woo! Proverbs 14.30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. That's a great thought, isn't it? I run into a lot of people who seem to be in, always in some sort of turmoil. Who knows somebody like that? Always in a crisis, lurching from one to another. And I think a lot of their problem is that they don't actually know how to live at peace. They don't know how to cultivate peace and they don't know how to maintain peace. And I think as Christians it should be one of our priorities to live in peace. You think? Oh, good. After all, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit let's have a talk about that. So peace to me is the absence of conflict. Is that a good definition you think? Anyone have an alternative definition to that? So the Oxford one had something about a state of tranquility or the absence of war. But I just like to say it's the absence of conflict. To understand this properly, we need to understand that there's external conflict, things that are going on outside, and there's internal conflict. I think we can appreciate the difference between those two. And conflict can take many forms. It can be physical, it can be emotional, it can even be spiritual. And we know that external conflict can definitely affect our internal conflict. Things happen on the outside can affect us on the inside. But they can be separate processes. We can experience the full spectrum of external conflict and internal conflict and not necessarily at the same time. So there's a bit of a chart there. Who likes charts? Joel does, he's an engineer. Woo! Shout out to all the engineers. So along the bottom, we have increasing internal conflict. And up the, what's that, the y-axis, Joel? Help me out with my maths. That's increasing external conflict. So there's some quadrants there. So down in the left, lower left, we can be at peace externally and internally. If we go up there, we can have external conflict, but be at peace. So the best example of this is, Jesus, he's in the boat. There's a storm raging. All the disciples are packing it. They are going, we are going to die. And then all of a sudden they have this thought, where's Jesus? He's asleep in the lower thing. So there's a great thought about there's all this external turmoil, conflict. And Jesus is so peaceful, he can sleep in the bottom of the boat. So we go along the bottom here. So you can have no external conflict, but still be in distress internally. Yeah. So there's a story about King Saul. And it was going pretty well for King Saul and the Israelites. They pretty much defeated most of the enemies around. It was probably one of the most prosperous times that the Israelite people had ever seen. But King Saul was still conflicted. Yeah. He was so conflicted, he had to call David to come and play his harp to try and soothe his soul. So even the absence of all the fighting, all of the political nonsense, Paul, Paul, Saul, King Saul, still couldn't be at rest. He wasn't at peace. And then obviously we have the top quadrant there where all hell's breaking loose, either literally or figuratively. And that's affecting us so bad that internally we're at disease as well. So that's the full spectrum there. But as I just pointed out, we don't have to necessarily be aligned with what's going on outside. Internally, we can dissociate with what's going on externally, just a little bit like Jesus did. So just to reassure you, or maybe not so reassure you, we're not necessarily or we're not promised a world free of conflict. In fact, quite the opposite. We're warned in John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you might have peace. Good. But in the world you will have trouble. That's the old one-two there. I say these things so you'll have peace. Yeah. But you're going to have a lot of trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah. Hey? That's the old sandwich, isn't it? Good, bad, good. Hey, who's ever done leadership training and said, oh, I always reinforce a negative message with positive. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere else in the Bible, Jesus said, You will be hated for my name's sake. So there's a couple of little things that says, There's gonna be some troubles. There's gonna be people that aren't gonna like you. There's gonna be some stuff happen on the outside. But you can't have peace on the inside. So, we, necessarily, we shouldn't necessarily ask for the external conflict to be taken away. We should be striving to maintain an internal peace. Yeah. So, most of us, it's easy to say that down in that bottom quadrant where there's no external conflict, it's pretty easy to be at peace. A Sunday afternoon, it's nice and quiet, we can be at peace. The neighbor hasn't got his music blaring. Yeah. Hey, Kate. That's Sunday night, uh, Saturday night. The kids are out doing their thing. You just be at peace. But let's also agree that one person's pressure is different to another person's pressure. So let's not get all judgy about what's upsetting one person or what's upsetting another and going, oh, well, you should see my situation. <laughs> or going, oh, pff, what are you upset about? Hey, you've got these little things to deal with. It's different for everybody. The thing that pushes your buttons isn't the thing that pushes my buttons. The thing that pushes you, squashes you down isn't the thing that squashes me down. So one little disclaimer before we go too far. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. If you're finding yourself in these emotional states for long periods of time, maybe you can get some help around that. I'm not talking about those situations, chemical imbalances and those sort of things. I'm just talking about the everyday life. We're experienced stuff in our world. How are we going to deal with that? How we maintain our inner peace? All right, so there's a little disclaimer from that. All right, so let's talk about your ability to control these internal and external conflicts. We used to have this little fridge magnet on our fridge. It was a little blue pair of hands, praying hands, and it said, "God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference." Who's ever had one of those? Anyone had that fridge magnet? Yeah, my mum's probably still got it on her fridge because she never throws anything out. I was trying to find one on the internet so I could actually show you what it looks like, but. I couldn't actually find that very specific fridge magnet. So here we go. We have a choice to either change or accept. And what we really need is the wisdom to be able to understand whether we can change or whether we can accept. Because a lot of times we get really frustrated trying to change things that we actually can't change. And we spend all this energy, we spend all this frustration, we turn ourselves inside trying to affect change when in fact we need to have the influence, the ability, the authority, all these sort of things. So we just wear ourselves out trying to change something that we can't change. Sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes we just give up and accept something when we actually could change it very easily. So we need to find the right... Balance. Find the wisdom, so that we don't either waste all our energy, or we don't give up too early. I'm going to uh, I'm going to play a little clip, and uh, I warn you, it is from The Simpsons. Um, so I don't know whether we can talk about opinions later on. <clears throat> So we're just going to play it. I'll turn the volume on so you can have a listen to it. And then we'll have a bit of a discussion about it. Just, can you, look? Can you get your mouse over there, Dorothy, on the play button? Or hit the space bar? Can't see the mouse. All right. That's Okay. No good? All right. That's okay. Maybe. Okay. Well, we won't prolong the uninevitable. Who's seen this clip? Who knows what it's about? No? No one? All right. So I'll just summarise it for you. So Homer's at a, at a uh, Japanese restaurant, and he has the delicacy of puffer fish. All right. So, well, fugu fish as they call them in there. So puff, puffer fish has to be... Cut very delicately because it's very poisonous. Who knows that? Yeah? Anyway, so apparently the chef didn't cut it very well and Homer ingests some of the poison. So he ends up in the hospital and the doctor informs him that he's been poisoned. He's got 24 hours to live. And then he says, you're going to go through five stages of grief. The first one is denial. And Homer says, oh, it's not going to happen. And then the doctor says, oh, and the next step will be angry. And Homer does, he sings, why you little? And he comes rushing at the the doctor. And then the doctor says, he'll be fear. And Homer's like, what's going to happen to me? And then he says, oh, and then you'll go into a stage called bargaining. And Homer's like, well, what will it take to make me better, doctor? I can make you worthwhile. And then finally, the doctor says, and the last stage will be acceptance. And Homer says, oh, well, you've got to go sometimes. And the doctor says... You progress through those very rapidly, Mr. Simpson. <laughs> so anyway, there I've, I've just reenacted it for you, and that's from a piece of psychology that somebody came up with about the stages of grief. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, but there are some, there is some truth to that. When something happens to us, you know, we can deny that it's even happening to us. Like, oh, no, I'm not even going to, can't accept that that's happening. And we just shut down. No, can't even contemplate that. That's denial. I won't ask for a show of hands. (laughs) Or we can get angry. Something happens to us, we get angry. Who's ever been told they don't have a job anymore? I have. I was pretty angry that day. Who's ever got some bad medical news? I get angry. Or you smash your car up. You get angry. Why me? Why did it have to happen to me? I'm a good person. My brother's house burnt down. There's a gooder person. Gooder a? Is that a word, Nick? No. It's my brother. He has spent his entire life serving the church. And his house burnt down. He's been waiting three years to get it fixed. Why me? My mum and dad have been there fixing it, painting, all that sort of stuff. You know, they should be enjoying their retirement. They're like, why? Why me? Why us? Why did it have to happen? We get angry. Then we get fear or depression. (gasps) What's going to happen? We can't see the future. What's going to happen? We get so depressed. We're like, I don't know if I can carry on. I don't want to carry on. Any of these ringing a bell? All these stages of internal conflict when something that happens outside starts working inside or we start bargaining with God. Who's ever bargained with God? I will read your Bible 100... How many... What was your streak, Nico? He's got a Bible app that actually records their streak. How many days in a row you've... What was your your streak, Nico? 111. God, if you heal me, I will read your Bible 111 days in a row. It's gone now. He's down to 12. The irony was he lost his streak by actually doing ministry... (laughs) I think God's got a sense of humour sometimes. But isn't it true we bargain with God? You know, you often hear alcoholics or, you know, people like that, they get into such a desperate situation. They go, well, God, if you get me out of this, I'll give up the drink. And they're trying to bargain with God. All before they get to this acceptance state where they resolve internally, oh, it's happening. I didn't necessarily want to trivialise it. I mean, maybe it was a good thing that the video didn't play. I don't want to trivialise what's going on in your situation. I just wanted to highlight some things that we go through on the way to acceptance. Because when we're in the state of denial, when we're in the state of anger, when we're in the state of fear or depression, when we're trying to bargain with God, we're not at peace. We're still trying to wrestle and grapple with the external situation. We're not at peace internally. So what am I saying? Should we just accept everything? No, not at all. This is where the wisdom part comes into it. Can I change that situation? Or is it something I've got to make peace with and then decide what's next? So conflict is generally when our expectation isn't lining up with our experience. You like that definition? So we might have an expectation that's up here and our experience is here and there's a misalignment and we don't know what to do with that. We can't process that. I was expecting my life to turn out like this and this is how it's turning out and I can't bridge the gap. So that's when those emotions start coming in. I'm angry about that. I'm a good person, God. Why is my experience here and my expectation up here? Or it's denial going, oh, no, I can't believe that. You know, tomorrow it'll happen and they'll come back into alignment and it'll all be right again. Or we start trying to bargain with God. Oh, what if I become a better Christian, God? Will you get my experience back up to my expectation? So this might happen in a variety of different places. This can happen in ourselves. Our own expectations don't line up with where we want to be. It certainly happened with God, but we have an expectation of God and it isn't lining up with what God is actually doing or being or who he is. The most prevalent I see was with people, other people. We're expecting people to do something and they actually do a different thing. Aren't people funny like that? I was expecting this person to come in and give me $1,000, but they didn't. And I'm angry at that person. And the last one is about our situation. So let's actually break that down a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about ourselves. Should we change ourselves or not change ourselves? So there are aspects of that that we can change. And there are aspects we can change pretty easily. But there are aspects... Maybe I need a drink of water. There are aspects that we can't change all that easily. So again, we need some wisdom to decide which ones we should. So let's have a look at the Bible. The Bible says we should be all about letting the Holy Spirit work inwardly towards us and produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Yep, yep, yep. Very good. Yep. Some of you have been reading your Bible, which is great. So the things that we should be changing should be bring us more like Christ. They're the should things that we should be changing. The other attributes, our personality, our, our physical appearance, those sort of things, probably not the things that we should be trying to change. And James has said some stuff around this already. I love that thought about if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. So if you're contemplating something, if you're not enough now already without that, then I'm afraid when you get it, it's not going to change the inside. So by all means, go and do some exercise. If you want to go and have your nose reshaped a little bit, that's cool. But maybe you need to deal with some of the stuff on the inside as well. In reality we're actually the only things that we can change all that easily. We're in control of ourselves. It's us that we can have the most impact on. The stuff around us, obviously the further we get away, the less influence and impact we can have on that. The closer to ourselves and our internal thing, they're the things that we can actually tangibly impact. So we should be looking inwardly first. Can I change something on the inside? to make that external thing a little better. So let's move on a little bit. I don't want to go on for too long because I'm pretty sure there's some good TV shows on tonight. All right, let's talk about God. Should we change God? <laughs> well, the reality is we can't change God. So, So a couple of points about God. God is sovereign. He doesn't report to anyone who works in a fairly big company, has a GM, or Ben's case, has a couple of GMs. Even that case, there's probably someone still above that. So I have a GM on site, but he reports to somebody in Brisbane. The guy in Brisbane reports to somebody in Montreal. The guy in Montreal reports to somebody in London. You know what? God doesn't have a boss. God is the ultimate authority he's not under anybody else's authority so nobody can force him to change we can't command god to change anyone tried that <laughs> god you must do this he's not interested in making deals either he's not tim shaw or who's the the new guys on the on the um, Telemarketing it used to be Tim Shaw when I was growing up. Or Big Kev. He's not interested in making deals. He can't bargain with God. <laughs> what could we possibly offer God? Like, oh, I'll give you my PlayStation. <laughs> I'll give you my 2003 Commodore. We haven't got anything that, well, apart from ourselves, our hearts. We haven't got anything material that we could bargain with God with. He's not interested in going, oh, well, if you read the book, the Bible, a thousand times, then I'll change. He's not about that. If we're doing it out of duty, then we're doing it wrongly anyway. God doesn't want the act. He wants our heart. We have been given some authority over God's creation but not him himself. So we can prophesy and see things happen in creation, but we can't, we can't make God himself change. Yeah? But God is consistent. God says to himself, he says, Behold, I am the Lord, I change not. So That's probably a fairly succinct statement there. God's not, not going to change. He does change his mind. He doesn't change his character. There's lots of times in the Scripture where, you know, the people made petitions to him and he changed his mind, but he's not necessarily changing his character. God responds responds to faith, not anger, not frustration. And as we said, not bargaining. You come to him with faith. Come to him with his promises that he's got in his word. Appeal to his nature about a loving, fair God, just God, and you might just change his mind. But don't come to him all angry and shouting at God, why did you do this to me, God? Don't come in fear. God is not conspiring against us. It says in Jeremiah, his plans are, for us are good. So God isn't up there devising all this bad stuff to happen to us, to try and make us come back to him. Yeah. That's not what God's about. That's not how God operates. It's a funny thing. Faith's a bit of an enigma. In order for it to exist, there's got to be some room for doubt. Yeah. If, there was no, if there was no alternative, we wouldn't have a faith. People go, oh, why didn't God just leave enough clues in creation to prove that he was the the." You know, that was the only option to to believe in creation because we wouldn't have a faith. If there wasn't a credible alternative, then it would just be a fact and we wouldn't have a faith. So faith needs, not needs, but in order for faith to fry, there needs to be some area for doubt. For faith to get stronger, it has to overcome something. I know that's not necessarily the greatest news, but that's how faith works. If We want to stand up in a situation. We need to keep exercising our faith to overcome these situations. Otherwise, our faith remains weak, remains as small as a mustard seed and never grows into that mighty tree. So let's not try and change God. Let's work with God to try and change Ourselves, and maybe change the external. Let's come to him in faith, not fear. Let's come to him in humility, not anger. Let's petition him for the right reasons. All right, let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about others, other people, that wonderful human race. Aren't we all lovely? Just have a look around all these people that are frustrating us. Give them a big sort of smile. You're awesome. I saw this one on the internet as well. God grant me the serenity to accept stupid people the way they are, courage to maintain my self control, and wisdom to know that if I act on it, I will go to jail. <laughs> Who needs a fridge magnet like that? <laughs> There was a little minion on there, but I couldn't get him to pop up on there. So you just have to imagine that. Sometimes we feel like that. I just want to slap some people. We used to say that love is a verb. Who remembers that? Yeah. yeah, there used to be a DC Talk song about it. Love is a verb. Implying that action was required. Yeah. Well, by that same logic, peace is also a verb. Yeah? yeah? Peace is not a passive, Joey was saying that. Peace is not a passive process. It's not just, I'm going to lay down here on the stage and let peace happen. (laughs) Come on, peace. Peace is a doing word. It requires some effort. So Pastor James had a great sermon earlier in the year about meekness not equaling a doormat. I'm not going to go over that. You can jump on the podcast and have a look at it. Just because we're at peace, just because we're meek, just because you know we exercise things doesn't mean we need to be a doormat and let people walk over us. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love. But a lot of the things that it says there are actually to do with peace. It says patience. Gentleness, long-suffering, kindness, forgetting each other's wrongs. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about love, but it's actually mostly about peace. Or maybe they're so closely entwined that if we're doing the love bit, the peace thing just flows on afterwards. So I said before about the thing that we can change the most is ourselves. So if we're struggling with our relationships, maybe we need to have a look at ourselves. Are we doing the love thing? Are we patient? Are we gentle? Are we kind? Are we giving people a lot of room to make some mistakes and helping them get better? So we talked about conflict where... We've got our expectation and in our, in our experience here. What about when somebody does that to us? They hurt us. We're expecting them to do this. They didn't. They did something completely different and it hurt. We go through those emotions. We get angry. So what should we do in these situations? Should we just accept all of that? I don't think so. That's not scriptural. Paul was pretty clear about how we handle those sort of things. But first of all, we need to realise that we ourselves aren't perfect. Mr. and Mrs. Log in the eye. Just don't knock anybody as You're just swinging your head around, okay? Paul says that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, we've all done stupid things. So we need to come from that place. Not the place that the Pharisees used to come from. Where we're all that holy, we're all that and some more. Our heart should always be to make the individual come to a better place. Not about making us feel better for putting somebody else down. I read in the Bible that the only time Jesus dealt harshly with people was when they were involved in oppression or or oppression, sorry, or condemnation of other people. At the woman the well, you know, he could have went, oh, you know, what are you doing? You've had five husbands. Come here, let me slap you. He didn't. He's very compassionate towards her. We went in the temple there and there, you know, Changing money over in the temple, Jesus was like, nah, that's not okay. Ripping people off. And that's when Jesus got upset. No, he didn't get upset with the sinner who was making mistakes. He got upset with the religious people who were trying to put barriers and obstacles and and trying to oppress people, trying to, you know, make separation between God and and people, making classes and, and separation. So we want somebody to change. We need to come with the right heart. And just as like there's a, you know, a bunch of different personalities, there's a bunch of different ways of trying to get somebody to, to change. We can't go through all of them and, and they're all very individual. Who knows that they're, well, who's had children here? Yeah. Who knows that the same discipline didn't necessarily work with the same child? or. Different child. So I love to use the example about Nick and Joel. Joel was very social. All we had to do with Joel was just put him in his room. He hated that. He was like, no. I gotta talk to people, I gotta interact with people. Whereas Nick, Nick could go in there for three weeks. (laughs) He's like, hey, I'm cool with that. (laughs) You gotta find out how that person ticks. You're gonna work with them when you're trying to bring a little bit of correction to them. Don't just extrapolate what's going on with you and how you work and and try and push that on top of somebody else. Anyway. All right, what about a difference of opinion? Who's ever had a difference of opinion with somebody in the church? Should we have the lights on? Should we have the lights off? Should we play Simpsons cartoons and preaching? Should we have a sub? Should we have a guitar? There's going to be some differences of opinion. There's an old saying that opinions are like noses or bottoms, depending on whether you went to public or a private school. Everyone's got one. Everyone's got a nose. Everyone's got an opinion. How would we judge somebody's opinion? Well, the criteria to me is does it bring somebody... Me, you, the unchurched, closer to God. So when we're thrashing about over the internet, we've got our particular little theology or little thing, we should be in the back of our mind going, well, is this really important? Is this this actually going to bring somebody closer to God or is it just a bit of semantics? In... uh, Philippians 1, Paul's responding to some church people who are complaining about some preachers who don't seem to have the right motivation. Who knows his story? Yeah? So they're going, oh, these people over here, they're just preaching and they're trying to get you in trouble, Paul. What are you going to do about it? You know, Paul's response was, what does it matter? (laughs) The important thing is that in every way, Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So people are welcome to their opinions and you're welcome to have a debate about it. That's great. But don't let these things come between you and that person. Don't break that unity just because you have a difference of opinion. Let's bring it back to go, well, is it actually affecting whether the message of the gospel is being preached or not? Is it stopping people from coming in the front door and hearing about Jesus? Or is it just a difference of opinion? I see this at work all the time. We've got these little paint pens and we write on our tubes with these paint pens. And we've got three colours. We've got white, yellow and pink. You would not believe the arguments I see over whether we put white writing on there and pink writing or yellow writing and pink writing. It comes up about every four weeks and I go what does it matter (laughs) as long as you can read the label and you know what's inside that sample vial what does it matter and sometimes you get so focused on our differences of opinion that we actually get distracted from our mission and what's more actually get angry with that person it actually causes a division and suddenly that person stops coming to church or they start rubbishing you probably not to your face but maybe on the internet Facebook that's great for those sort of things so as Christians we should be able to handle some differences of opinion but still maintain the unity. We should be adult enough to be able to discuss these things without necessarily letting it derail the entire church and we be split down the middle. Everybody that works to wear jeans on this side, everybody thinks it slacks on that side. Everybody that likes to wear a hat to church, You can sit over in that corner. All those that don't think that that's acceptable, oh, Ben, you better move out of the other side. (laughs) And what about the genuine haters? I said right at the start there, you will be hated for my namesake. What about the haters? Well, according to Taylor, they're going to hate anyway, so. The Bible says, shake it off. If you go into a house and you're not accepted, dust your feet off as you leave. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. <laughs> My wife doesn't let me sing, so I've got to do it when I'm preaching. There are going to be people that are going to be dislike you because you represent Jesus and you represent something that, you know, brings them some internal conflict. All of a sudden, your example is not lining up with their experience and you're creating some disharmony in their experience. How's that for flipping it around? And they're like, whoa, I don't like this. So their response is to get angry. So the things that we're going through are the things that they're going through. And they're getting angry at us just because we're showing them a better way. Not that they know it's a better way yet. So we have to learn how to deal with that? Shake it off. Let it go. All right, lastly, we'll go back to some situations. Can we change or accept our situation? (coughs) Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Paul says to be content in every situation. So what is that saying? We should just accept everything? No, I don't think that's right. Our purpose should be to bring change into the situation where it's needed, where people don't know God, they don't know His faith, they don't know His hope, they don't know His love. That's where we should be bringing change into those situations. Where there's gross injustice, corruption, these are all the things where Jesus acted as our example. They're the things that we should be changing. That's our mission. We have a limited amount of time, energy, influence. Where should we be using that time, energy, influence? On things of ourselves or on things of the kingdom? It's a bit bitey, wasn't it? I apologise for that. Just kind of slipped out. We get so focused on things that make our lives better. But in reality, maybe we should be spending some of that time trying to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. So for me, whether we accept something or change something should be about, well, is it hindering us from fulfilling our mission? Or is it just sort of feathering our nest? And if it's something that's just making our life a little bit more comfortable, maybe we should just accept that and move on. And look for some other areas to bring some more positive change. Can I say that? So make peace with those things which are really just about our comfort. And start taking up the cause for those things that really need to be changed. I came along to this. Penny and Harry organised this uh, business coach no, I was doing the sound up there thinking, oh, yeah, business coach, I'm not in business. And he said something really profound. He said, the decline in society is largely due to the lack of Christian people in influential positions. He said 50 years ago, just about every top con- company was run by a Christian person. Christian people were all through local government, state government, federal government. But at the moment, we're so focused about building a church. It's all the good people who have been absorbed into our churches and they're not out in the community, leading the community. So you want to make a change, you need to broaden your fears, sphere, fear, sphere of influence. I love what my wife does. She goes out into the schools and talks to the principals. If I rang up a principal, they would just go, I don't know that number. My wife can ring a principal, and they'll pick up the phone and go, okay, what's going on? She has a sphere of influence in our schools. She's making a difference in our schools. We should be out in a community, broadening our influence so that we can make a positive change. I'm not frustrated by all these things Going on inside us, we'll have a bit of a reality check and go, well, maybe there's some bigger things out there that I should be worried about than my little thing going on inside here. Broaden your vision. Put it into perspective. I love the situation where, I don't know whether it's Elijah or Elisha, I can't remember, I always get them confused. They're out there and he's got his assistant with him and all of a sudden this army is coming at him. And the assistant's kind of getting a little nervous. And he's like, <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed, there's, um there's an army coming. And the man of God says, lift up your eyes. Don't look at that army. Look at that one above them. And maybe we need to do that. Lift up our eyes from our situation and start seeing a heavenly perspective. Because all of a sudden our internal conflict starts to get really small and we start seeing the magnitude of what's out there. The depth of the poverty, the depth of the hunger, the loss. These people that need Jesus. And we're like, oh, you know, I've got this sore foot. And and when I walk, it really hurts. And I'm not trying to downplay anything, please understand my heart I'm not trying to downplay any of that sort of stuff I just wanted to convey a message about maybe there's some bigger things at play and if you're wondering whether you want to change your situation or just accept your situation and move on maybe that's the benchmark is it just for my own comfort or is it something that genuinely hindering me from doing what God's called me to do So, I just want to recap by saying if you can't change it, make peace with it. Ask God to give you the serenity. I'm not sure what serenity means. All I think of is the castle where he's standing on his porch going, it it's a serenity. And the bug zap is like, Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. I'm assuming it means peace. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. or the things that aren't really important, the little things, the little foxes. God, give me the courage to change the things which are really important. And you know what, God? I pray that you'd give me the wisdom to understand which is which so I don't spend all my energy, I don't get all frustrated mulling over things which aren't actually all that important. I didn't even pray at the start, Pastor James. How bad was that? No wonder I didn't preach very well. It's so okay, would you just come up the band if you want to come up? Well, we are going to have an older call, so if, if any of you guys on the band feel like you just want to hang around, and that's okay. You don't need to be on the stage. just want to stand with me? Nico should be able to do that. Where are you, Nick? Snuck out the back. So I talked about a bunch of things about accepting or changing things that are to do with ourselves. Maybe you're struggling a little bit with some things you're going through with God. Maybe you're a little bit angry at God. Maybe you're still trying to bargain with God. Maybe there's a bit of conflict going on between you and some other people. Or maybe you've got a situation there where you're struggling to come to acceptance or understanding whether you can change that or not. If you just like some prayer, you can come out the front and we'll get the ministry team just to pray for you. And we'll pray that the peace of God reigns in your heart. We sang that great song about peace washing over me, peace reigning in my heart. Let's separate what's going on outside with what's going on inside so that you can be at peace inside despite what's going on on the outside. Why don't you let Jesus carry your burdens and you swap it for his? His is pretty easy, apparently. Do you want to sync